I like that song because it's um, it's it's biblical in that there is a passage that says that David was a man after God's own heart. And I asked myself the question, what does that mean? Well, when you're after someone's heart, you're, you want to know them. You're after who they are. Amen? You pursue... You ever say, oh, that's a sweetheart. Well, what do you mean? The person's got a, a sweet disposition, right? You might say something else, like that guy's got a hard heart. And that's not what we want. So when you pursue or run after God's heart, you're trying to learn about him. You want to know him personally. And that's what the Christian faith is. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. And that's what we're pursuing. That's what we want. Amen. So we're going to look at, um, and we're going to continue in the book of Hebrews. So uh, if you have a Bible uh, or a device, uh, find Hebrews chapter 4. And we're going to look at the first 11 verses, I think. And I say it that way because it depends on, on how, uh, how far I can get. Let me push this thing out a little bit. The people watching online just saw me disappear. <laughs> so, Hebrews 4, uh, 1 through 11. And I titled it, His Rest. Um, I asked the question, whose rest are we talking about? Not our rest, his rest. And he being the rest that Jesus offers us. And we're going to look and see what that means. And the backdrop to this, if you will, is that children of Israel, when they left Egypt, remember they were slaves for 400 years, and they reached a point to where they were crying out to God to set them free, and God called a man named Moses. We know who Moses is? He's a lawgiver. And he was the one who delivered by God's hand the children of Israel out of Egypt. And they went in uh, 70 people in the tribes of Israel 400 years earlier. Remember Joseph? How he went in before? And then there was a famine and Israel went into Egypt to find food and sustenance, and then they were there for 400 years. When they come out, they're like, they're like 4 million, but they were slaves. But God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their forefathers, God had promised them this place uh, called the Promised Land, Canaan. And so when they come out, they find themselves uh, with their backs up against the Red Sea, in other words, when they come out of Egypt. And the Pharaoh had changed his mind about setting them free. So he was chasing them with his armies and with their chariots. And the children of Israel were uh, up against the Red Sea. They had no way to, to escape. And so they began to cry out to the Lord. And the Lord told Moses, you know, lift up your staff. And he did. And the Red Sea opened up. God performed a miracle. So a lot of people might question, well, how can you know, God open the Red Sea? Well, the same way that he spoke and uh, out of nothing leapt the universe into existence. God is, what makes God God is that he's all-powerful. So he opens the Red Sea and they escape and they're able to go into the promised land. And then charging behind them were the armies of Pharaoh and the very path that opened the way for Israel became the path that destroyed their enemies because God collapsed the sea 
and the Egyptians drowned in the Red Sea. And then where were the children of Israel? They were on the other side of the Red Sea with only one place to, to lead to, and that is to the Promised Land. But something awful happened. When it was time to enter in, they took a position of the fact that there were giants and there were people that were stronger than there were. And so they, um, they were disobedient and not going forward. And they ended up not believing God. So God in his anger says, okay, you don't want to go into what I have for you? Then you're going to die here in the wilderness. And so everyone over the age of of 20 was not going to enter into the promised land and they wandered around for 40 years. So the only two that had uh, or older than 20 were the two spies, Caleb and Joshua, who when they came back from spying the land, they came back with a good report and they said, oh my goodness, it's a land of milk and honey. God's going to... Uh, God's going to give us this land. Let's go. And then, of course, they were the ones that had faith. So God allowed only those two, Joshua and Caleb, to enter in that were over 20. Everyone else died in the wilderness. So now we're here. So I'm going to have you stand with me. And we're going to read this passage. And then I'm just going to go through it a little bit, if you don't mind. Of course, you know how we do it, right? We go verse by verse. So verse 1 of chapter 4, you'll see it up on the screen, and, and I'm going to read it. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For, for the good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith. Another word you can use, <coughs> excuse me, another word you can use instead of united, at least in my version, is mixed. Um, so because the, the, they were not mixed by faith with those who listen, for we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of a seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of what? Disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today saying through David, so long afterwards in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Let me repeat that. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever entered God's rest has also rested from his works, just or as God did from his. So let us strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And by the way, the disobedience was unbelief. So let's pray for the sermon. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the time that we're going to look at it. We pray for your help. And we pray, Lord God, that you would help us to see what it is that you have for us. 
how it is, Lord, that we can apply the promises to our lives and live in your blessings and live in your victory. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, have a seat. Okay, so we're just going to go verse by verse. So I hope you still have your, uh, your Bible in front of you. So verse 1 says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands... Uh, Rest still stands. He's writing this to the Hebrews. He's writing this in the New Testament. But he's looking back at events that happened in Israel many thousands of years earlier. So there still is a rest available to us. It still stands. And he's saying that it's a promise. God has given us this promise of resting. And I have a strong suspicion that with the times and in the times that we're living, the chaos, the uncertainty, wars, economic strain because of inflation, we have elections on the horizon, who's going to be our new leader, what are they going to do? We have all these things going on around in our lives, the fear of another virus that's looming in, in the background of China again. All these things weigh on us. And you know what they do? They potentially have the ability to not allow us to rest. They worry us. We're preoccupied. There may be fear. There may be anxiety. There may be uncertainty. What of the future? Well, this passage says there's a, there is still a rest that stands. There's a place where we can go to find rest in the promises of God. Okay, so he's saying, lest us, uh, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So my first question is, what should we fear according to verse 1? We should fear not entering into his rest, right? Which still stands. We should fear that we would fail to reach God's rest. Rest can come to us in, in a, one way, and that is to have God's peace. Rest can come to us in, in knowing and having his joy. Rest can come to us in having security, knowing that we belong to him, that we're safe with him, that we have a refuge with him. Rest can come to us in knowing that he will meet all our needs, knowing that we're saved, knowing that we have a, the, a future. There's all kinds of ways that we rest. But we have to enter into it. Notice, it's His rest. Whose rest is it? His rest. He's like saying, come over here to this place and rest. I'm going to give it to you. You see, and then, of course, we're looking at the, what happened in the wilderness, too. He's using that as an example and a background for us to be able to apply it, right? So whose rest is it? It's his rest. What else should we fear according to verse 1? Well, we should fear what they did, and it, the Israelites did, in that they limited God due to unbelief. They didn't enter in because of lack of faith. So you can limit what God wants to do in your life by not entering into the promises and into these blessings that he has for you. So if you're not experiencing this rest, it's not his fault. If you're not experiencing 
the peace and the joy and the security and the blessings and the promises of God. It's not because of him, it's because of our hard hearts. We won't enter into what he's offering us. See, because God, in offering us salvation, he gives it to us as a free gift. But we can never obtain it until we take it, till we receive it. And how do we do that? By faith, by trusting. So if somebody comes to you this Christmas, and I'm sure there's going to be gifts exchanged, okay? And I want to tell you right now, I don't mind if I'm on your list, okay? Because you know what the best kind of gifts are? The ones that people give you that are free. You're going to look at me look kind of funny. The best kinds of gifts are the ones you get for free. Why? Because they don't cost you anything. But it's more than just because you get something for free. It's who gave it to you that matters. And I'm sure there might be a lot of broken hearts or upset people if they don't get something from someone they love. God loves us and he's given us his gift of salvation and of his blessings and promises. So our fear should be, according to verse 1, that we limit God by, by not believing God. So Israel didn't believe God would lead them into the promised land. That's the example we have. They didn't believe that he would give them victory over the giants that they saw in the promised land that were roaming in the promised land. They didn't believe that God would allow them to overcome the fortified cities in the promised land. Right? What they did when God says, go in, first he gave them the, and I said it last week, first he gave them this incredible uh, opportunity to go look at what he already had for them as an inheritance. Usually you have to wait till your loved ones, and most likely your parents, pass away before you get to see the will. That's usually the case. Not always. You can't obtain it until... They're gone. And then, of course, you get their inheritance. This is interesting because what God does here is he allows them to go in first to see what's waiting for them. And they said, oh man, it's a land of milk and honey. And I mentioned last week that they found these cluster of grapes so large that it took two men with a big pole to carry them in back to the tribes of Israel. Can you imagine? I love grapes. Can you imagine I would have to like carry them in? I had to get Michael to help me or something. Just carry these into my house. Right? And yet, what was their response? The spies that were negative, that brought the bad report, were saying, oh no. They didn't look at the blessings in the milk and honey. They were just like, oh man, we're, we're done. Uh, let's not enter. Uh, we're not able. We're not strong enough. Uh, they started to grumble and complain and they, they were afraid and they rebelled against God. And then they suggested, hey, how about we just go back to Egypt? And not only that, let's stone Moses. Who does he think he is bringing us to this place to die? Oh, for the garlic of Egypt and the leeks. Oh, the, we, the food out here sucks. That's what they were saying. Because at that point, they were just eating manna and water. They were drinking water and eating manna. And God saying, no, you can have milk and honey. I never forgot a sermon. I think I mentioned it last week, but I like to mention things more than once. 
I heard a sermon one time of a pastor who said, bread and water, big deal. You can have milk and honey. Because they didn't enter into the promise because of fear, because of doubt, because of their hardened hearts. They stayed in the wilderness. So what is the author in verse 1 telling us to fear? To fear being the person, listen, God's warning the Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 1, to fear being the person who doesn't believe God. He's warning them, do not harden your heart. See, unbelief kept that generation of Israelites who had escaped Egypt from entering the promised land, the land of Canaan. And by not entering into the land of Canaan, they never knew his rest. What is the thing we should fear? We should fear having an unbelieving heart. As opposed to a believing heart. So let me give you the contrast. We either have an unbelieving heart or we have a believing heart. We either have a hard heart or we have a softened heart. A heart that's receptive or a heart that rejects. There's no other choice. There's no neutral gear in the Christian walk. Anybody here drive a manual stick shift? Eric, you know how to drive a stick shift? I'll teach you. First, got to get the car again. I used to have a little sports car with a stick shift. You drive a stick shift, huh? Romito. Anybody else drive a stick shift? You know what you do when you're passing from first to second or you're idling? You either have the clutch in, which is not a good thing because you'll wear it out, or you put the stick in neutral. And in neutral, it doesn't go forward, it doesn't go backwards. Hey, put them on the speaker so you can hear the sermon. <laughs> yeah, it's all good, man. I remember I'm a high school teacher. I get that every day, all day at school. So no big deal. We're good. So neutral gear doesn't exist in a, in a Christian walk. There's either you're going forward because you believe or you're going backwards because you don't believe. There's no neutral gear. You can't say, oh, I'm going to make a decision tomorrow. No. No decision today is no. Today's the day of salvation where God would have you say yes. You don't know if you'll be here tomorrow to say yes or no. Who can't do anything about the past and the things that you blew and the mess ups and the failures. They're gone. Maybe you should learn from them, but don't get stuck in them. Trust God to keep moving you forward. So that particular generation were not able to enter into God's rest, but the promise still remains. Remember what we saw at verse 1. So verse 2, let's move on. Basically, we can arrive to the conclusion that we enter into his rest by faith. For good news came to us just as to them. What is the good news? It's the gospel. But the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? So they heard the same good news. What was that good news? Well, the good news was that there was the land of milk and honey flowing over there. That's the good news. Yes, there was bad news that there were many obstacles like the giants and fortified cities, but the good news is that God would give them the victory if they simply believed. So, 
The good news came to us too. The good news that we hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation. Just as to them, they heard good news. But what was the problem? It says there in verse 2, but the message they heard did not benefit them. You know, my, my biggest concern would be that I would preach this message and it wouldn't profit you. And it wouldn't profit you for a reason that's out of my control. Anyone know what it would be? Unbelief. That's what he's getting ready to say. You can hear all the sermons you want. You can go to all the Bible studies you possibly can. But if it will never benefit you. It will never profit you if you don't mix it with faith. That's what he's saying here. The message they heard did not benefit them. Depending on your translation or using the synonymous word profit. Why? Because they were not united by faith. In other words, they didn't take the promises and believe them. They didn't take what God said and trust them. They had their confidence in their own ways and thinking and not in God's ways and what God had promised. Because faith uh, must be the response to God's word and God's message or it means and it will not profit you at all. So listening is not enough. Hearing God's word isn't enough. Ancient Israel heard the word, but it didn't benefit them because they received it they didn't receive it by faith. Hearing always gives us the opportunity to respond. But hearing isn't enough. The opportunity only profits us when we mix it with faith. In other words, uh, it's a known uh, thing that we like to say in Christian circles is you have to apply what you learn. You have to apply it to your life. Otherwise, it's worthless. Because faith in the Christian context and meaning is action on what you believe. So the reason we're talking about God's word is so that you have something to believe. Because you believe something in this life because you've heard so many different things, whether it's from school or your parents or your friends or the hood or wherever you get your information. Please don't get it from Twitter. Gosh, Twitter is so depressing. But nonetheless, whatever you hear, you have to decide whether you're going to believe it or not. God is saying to you, well, how about you believe what I, I, I have to say to you? When you hear Pastor Robert and he's digging through these verses, I'm only on verse 2 and there's 11. I'm not going to make it to verse 11. I'm not going to make it because I want you to understand what it says. Because once I give it to you, it's on you, not me. I can leave here feeling really good and saying, Lord, I did what you told me to do. I gave him your message. It's not my message. It's his. And we all have to respond. Get the cobwebs out of your face or whatever is blocking you from hearing God's word. Throw them away and open your heart and your mind to what God has for you because we're living lower than what we could be living because of unbelief. Accept what he has to say and you will see a huge change in your life. 
So it says that it did not benefit them because they were not united, or I would add the word mixed. They were not mixed by faith with these things that they heard. Yeah, there was milk and honey there. Yeah, there were obstacles, but God was going to give them the victory if they simply believed. So according to the text, I want you to notice that it is not their shortcomings. It is not their failures that kept them from the promised land. See, we're going to mess up. We're going to uh, flub things up. We're going to fail. We're going to falter. We're going to fall. We're going to stumble. We're going to not do this right. We're going to have to get up many times. That's not why they didn't enter. They didn't enter because... They didn't believe. Do you see what I'm saying? They didn't enter because they failed to believe. Not because they failed in some other way. We're all going to fail. We're all going to mess up. We're all going to have shortcomings. But faith allows us to be able to take God's word and then benefit from it and be able to enjoy his blessings. What does God want from you? He wants your trust. I learned as a parent many things from my son. And I asked myself the question, and I know as a parent, or maybe in any kind of relationship that you have that is value, what do you want from your children? Or what do you want from your spouse? And I'm going to put it to you this way. Do you want perfection? Does God want perfection from you? Because it's not possible. That's what the law was given for. To show you you couldn't perform. So that you would have to come to him. Depending on him. Giving you a righteousness. That's not your own. Through faith. Because you could not. And you cannot obtain a righteous standing. Before God based on your merits. And your goodness. You'll never be able to stand before God. Based on what you do. It will always be based on what Jesus did for you. So the problem is when you say, what do I want in my relationships? I don't want a perfect husband or a perfect wife. I want one that I trust. And trust me. Is that right, parents? You don't want Camila to be perfect. Sorry, I didn't mean to pick on you, but I love you. Do you, guys? You don't want her to be perfect. You know why? Because you can't be. But you want to be able to trust her. Don't you? If she were to mess up, wouldn't you want her to tell you? Hey, Dad, hey, Mom, you're not going to believe it. Today I cheated on uh, 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 basketball. I'll make, it, I'll make it basketball. When they weren't looking, I threw it in and made, made two points. I don't know. However it is that we can do something wrong, right? We, we don't want perfection. Because it doesn't exist. Perfection is a doctrine that has been spawned in the pits of hell. Satan would want you to think and the church to believe that God's looking for perfection. He's not looking for perfection. You come to him with all of your imperfections. Come to him with all of your mistakes and lay them at his feet and at the cross and then trust him. That's what he wants. He wants your trust. And that's what I want from my son. I want to trust them. And by default, he'll trust me. And we'll get through all this 
with our bumps and our scars and sometimes even bleeding every now and then and making it more, more severe issues of our life. What God wants is trust. And they were not able to enter into the promised land because they didn't trust Him. So you know as Christians that today God would say to you, and let me just give you a couple of promises so that you can grab a hold of this sermon and apply it now. That was their issue, but it is what happened back in Israel in the wilderness is applicable to us too. God has promised us today that he would provide for all your needs according to Philippians 4.19. Do you believe it? Yeah, but pastor, I don't have a job. But he said he would supply all your needs. So you got to decide. You're going to trust him? You're going to rest, and that's what he said? Yes, that's what you should do. Uh, God has told us that all things are working together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And you would say, what do you mean, pastor, that all things? Yes, whatever you're experiencing, whatever you're going through, I don't care what it is, God will turn that into a victory. He will work it out for you. Not that some things are good, but in spite of the fact that you might experience something horrible, God will take that experience and that situation and, and that circumstance and He'll turn it to good. Because all you have to do is look at the cross. All you have to do is look at the crucifixion and how Jesus was unjustly placed on that cross. And it was a crime what they did to Him. He was innocent. But yet that particular event, which is the most evil thing that has ever been perpetrated to a man in the history of the world, had turned out to be our victory because he went there for us so he turns his death when he rises from the dead when we too can hope in a God who's able to do the impossible and take the tragedies of this life and turn them into good that's his promise I didn't make it up I'm just explaining it I like that verse and I kind of translated my way because it says it says here that all things work together for good. That's Romans 8.28. I like to say that God enters into all things for good. Or he intervenes into all things for good. Yeah, you might have a situation where like a, a child dies. And you're like thinking this is the most horrible thing that could have ever imagined. Yes, it is. But he can take that experience and turn it around for good in your life. Because that's what he does. He intervenes. He gets involved in our lives, wherever we are and whatever we're going through. And he'll turn it into good. But you can never experience that if you don't trust him. Because then what you'll do is you'll trust yourself and you'll trust your own ways and you'll try to reason and try to calculate and figure things out and you'll end up being a vicious circle going nowhere like the children of Israel for 40 years. It's the worst feeling in the world to look back on your life and realize you've wasted it because you wouldn't trust God and you try to make it work your way. And your way will never work, especially when God has tapped your life. Now, if he's not tapped your life, you don't care. Who cares? You, you don't know him, he doesn't know you, and there you go ignorantly down the wrong path. That's a more tragic thing, but at least they don't know. So they don't care. It will be a huge and surprising awakening one day when they face God. But he'll show them that all along they harden their hearts. And he gives us free will. 
So what we need to do then is realize that uh, God, he, he, he has promises for us that we can, we can apply to our lives and we can trust and, and have confidence in him. Uh, he said also another thing in Matthew twenty eight twenty that he would be with us even to the end of the earth. So whatever you're going through, if you feel like you're in a dark place or in a lost place or you don't even know what place you're in, God's there with you. Abraham was told to go to the land of promise. And here's the most incredible thing. Hebrews 11 says it. He went not knowing where he was going. Now how can you go somewhere not knowing where you're going? You can only know kind of like go that way. Kind of like how I drive. Go that way. But see, what we have, not only in our telephones, our GPS, we have the one who is the master GPS, and that's Jesus. He just took us a different path because the one that we were on was not going to lead to where we were trying to go. I love Waze. Anybody here use Waze? W-A-Z-E. It's an application. It's an app. It always puts you on the side streets. So one time I was going to a Laker game and I was like heading into L.A. And of course, you know, going into the heart of L.A., you're going to stop somewhere. Next thing I know, I'm all these side streets. And I make a left on Soto, make a left on, a right on Whittier, you know, down there in East L.A. And you're like, oh. And all of a sudden I realized that all the cars are, I'm driving right by them. And there's a bunch of homes and all of a sudden, you know, you're in neighborhoods and boop, you pop up and there's Staples Center. That wasn't the way I would have gone. I, wouldn't even, I didn't even know those roads or streets existed. But I trusted ways. Well, we should trust his ways. Okay, so it was a bad example. I'll keep going. <laughs> Anyhow, what happened? The children of Israel had the promises. And uh, they won't do us any good if they're not mixed with faith. And, 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 we, and they won't do us any good until we stop saying, what's the catch? There's got to be some kind of catch here. Or we stop saying, this can't be true for me. Or maybe, um, I'm nothing but a grasshopper, like they said. No, we have to mix his promises with faith. See, there's an interesting thing in 2 Corinthians 1.20. It says, for all the promises of God in him, in Christ, are yes. Write it down, 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen to the glory of God through us. You know what amen means in the Hebrew or translated from the original language? So be it. So I could say all the promises of God in Jesus are so be it. Or all the promises of God in Christ are yes. Don't you get tired of hearing no? No. 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 In your, in your heart. No. And what Jesus is saying is, yes, yes, yes. In the affirmative. That's what we get from him. Verse 3. I made it. I made it to verse 3. I'm so proud of myself. For we, now notice he's talking in the present tense as he's writing to the Hebrews in the New Testament. We who have believed enter that rest. 
Because there remained a rest. Didn't it say that in verse 1? We enter how? By faith. As he had said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. These were the ones who did not believe. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken uh, of the seventh day in this way. This is back in Genesis. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So let me give you a backdrop on the Sabbath. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about the rest. There was a Sabbath on the seventh day of creation. And let me say this. He rested on the seventh day not because he was tired. When we rest, because we're tired. You should see me after work. There has never been a person in the history of the world that walks into his house, plops onto the couch, pulls the coffee table forward, and my feet go right on top of it like this. <laughs> rest. Finally. Well, maybe Romito. He might do that too. It says here, we who have believed enter that rest. God, when he finished creation, every day he said it was good. And it was good. And then on the last day, on sixth day, he said it was very good. So his work was completed. The reason he rested was not because he was tired, but because he was finished. But something happened back in the garden. Man failed and sinned. And so all the rest that they had had been broken. So from that moment, God had to work again. He had to work through a person called Jesus, the Messiah that he promised to Abraham. He had to go, and Jesus would say in his ministry, my father and I work. And what was the work that Jesus had to once again complete? The work of salvation. Because on the cross he cried out, it is finished. He completed and he did the work necessary for our salvation. So there was once rest. But never will you find from Genesis 1 or uh, in chapter 2, anywhere where the Sabbath was observed until Israel came into existence and Moses gave them the law, which one of them was to keep the Sabbath. But the rest that they were talking about, the Sabbath that they're talking about there was for Israel. And guess what? They never kept it. Not even Joshua. It says it there. We keep reading. The reason they went into 70 years of exile into Babylonia was because they failed to observe the Sabbath. They failed to observe the, Ju the year of Jubilee, which was at every 50 years they would have to lay, not touch the land or work. They would have to return and forgive debts and properties. And they didn't do it. So for 70 Sabbath weeks, if you would, that's what they would call them in the Bible. They didn't observe the rest that God had for them. So God took them out of the land into Babylon for 70 years. And that's what the land did. It rested. And he says, Joshua couldn't give it to him. And then he mentioned here also that David couldn't. That's why they say, we who have believed enter that rest. So, faith equals rest. You can rest. Because he has completed the perfect work of the cross. So, I'm going to keep, I'm going to read really fast. I'm thinking we're going to still have the Lord's Supper, so I need another 10 minutes. 
And again he said in this passage, verse 5, this shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. There are still people who can enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day, today saying through David, so long afterwards, so David is even talking about there's a day of rest that's still available. And of course the writer of Hebrews is saying that there is a day of rest still available. And he says, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as opposed to softening them. Right? For if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken of another day later on. So in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, they're still talking about rest. When, when is that going to come? In the New Covenant with Christ. So here we go. So then, verse 9, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Hmm. And for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. See, here's the key, and I'm going to break it down to reduce it and finish up. It's the rest that we enjoy and the reason we don't have to work. What do you mean, work for what? We don't have to work for salvation. He already did it for us. We don't have to work for our needs. He already said he'd supply them all. We don't have to work to figure out what to do with our lives because he said all things work together for good. We don't have to work to, to bring him down out of heaven or raise him up out of, uh, out of the ground because he's promised to be with us always. So there are no self-justifying. There's no thing, nothing we have to do to earn our salvation because Jesus already finished the work on the cross. When he cried out, it is finished. He paid for it in full. So all we have to do is enjoy the free gift of his salvation. We don't have to labor for it. There's one last thing. The next uh, slide, if you could. Jesus' last words on the cross were, it is finished. So here's what I'm going to say to you. The rest that we're able to enjoy is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? Sorry, the Seventh-day Adventists have it wrong. We don't have to observe the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath was completed in Christ. Let me explain. Jesus' work at Calvary's cross Finish the work. So look at Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Look at that verse up there. It says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink. The Hebrews were making a big deal of everything they ate and drank. And with regards to festival, which were the feasts, whether it was Passover, whether it was tabernacles, whether it was uh, the, the day of Pentecost, Right? Or to new moons or a Sabbath. It says, let no one judge you uh, uh, regarding what? A Sabbath, which is the rest. Why? Why should no one judge us? Because it says here, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. What does that mean? The Sabbath was just a figure of what Christ would be for us. Okay? Let me read another verse. Uh, way that another translation says these are a shadow of things to come or 
The substance belongs to Christ. In other words, the reality of the Sabbath is found in Jesus. Because the rest is a person. Rest is a person, not a day. Rest is not something you do, it's something he already did when he said it was finished at Calvary's cross. That's the rest that the author of Hebrews is saying still can be obtained by us. How is it obtained? Because when you live in faith and by faith, then you rest in the finished work of Christ. Way too many people are working hard, thinking that they're going to win and gain points in Jesus' kingdom. You're not. He already won all the points possible. We receive his righteousness by faith only. And we can be right before God, doing nothing except accepting what he's done for us. You can rest. You are no longer guilty. You have been forgiven. You are free to serve him and to live for him. That's what he's talking about. So he says in verse 11, Let us therefore strive, so let's do our best, to enter that rest that's found in Jesus, because the Sabbath is the shadow of Jesus to come. Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17. So that no one may fail by the same sort of disobedience. So disobedience is a product of unbelief. So some people might say, why do, we, why do we disobey God? Because you don't believe Him. Unbelief has its behavior. You know what? how unbelief acts? Being disobedient. But faith obeys. Faith acts in accordance to God's promises. So let's have that rest. Let's enjoy that rest in Christ. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you. This passage, Lord, frees us to know that everything that needed to be done was perfectly completed and performed by Jesus at Calvary's cross. And all we could ever do is receive so great a salvation by faith and enter into your rest, enter into your peace, enter into your joy, enter into your purposes. We don't have to work for it. It's already been worked out. We don't have to win. We already have the victory. We just need to accept it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.